What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. Yeah, I should have been voicing that intro. Nah, shout out to Tori. Producer Tori for uh, voicing that intro and for all that you do. I was joking around with my uh, my other producer, Amy, and I was like, let's just change the name of the show to So You Were on the Mass Singer cast because that's what this is now. Because that's what this is now. See, that was my audition for the next season of The Mass Singer. I was thinking about it like I, I would never go on The Mass Singer because I can't sing. But actually, other people that, that suck have gone on the show, so maybe I can. But I would want to be in control of my outfit. And do you remember the movie Dodgeball with Vince Vaughn? Could you remember the scene where Vince Vaughn is playing dodgeball for the first time competitively? The average Joe's uniforms come in, but they get the wrong uniforms. And so they all wear dominatrix uniforms. That's what I would want to be. I'd want to be the submissive and just really freak out Ken Jeong. Or maybe he'd be turned on. I don't know what would happen. I would sing, but then someone would come and zip the mouth closed, and I couldn't sing, you know? <laughs> Very excited about today's episode. I was telling my fiance, Sarah, who was going to be on, she was like, shut up. I had a huge crush on him back in the day, which makes total sense. I'm just glad he's married, so, like, that's just not something I don't have to worry about, you know? On today, and by the way, thank God for the Masked Singer, because it's getting me so many cool freaking artists on this show. Today, we're going to have a guy who broke into Hollywood in the late 90s. He was on a little show called All My Children. Do you remember it? Yeah, you do. His first three albums, Beautiful Soul, Right Where You Want Me, and Departure, consecutively bowed in the top 15 of the Billboard Top 200 with singles, Beautiful Soul, Minted Gold, and Leaving Certified Platinum, bro. His collaboration spanned from T-Pain's body language to ludicrous, How Do You Sleep? Along the way, he performed in arenas alongside... Oh, you know, New Kids in the Block, the Backstreet Boys, in addition to packing global headlining tours and hosting shows for both George W. Bush and Barack Obama. My boy is bipartisan, yo. New single out right now called Yours. While he's been in quarantine, he's been making hilarious 
quarantine couple skits on Insta with his fiance Katie. He's a part of Fox's new show, Celebrity Watch Party, and he was the turtle. I like turtles. Turtle, 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 turtle. On the Masked Singer. Everyone thought that Hunter Hayes, who was on a couple weeks ago, that he was the turtle. No, 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 no. He was the astronaut. Today's guest is a turtle. So sit back and relax. And ladies out there, if you were a child of the 90s, get ready to be very excited. Because on the Wells cast today, we have the multi-talented Jesse McCartney. You don't want to miss it. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, on the Wells cast now, I have Jesse McCartney. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Wells, how are you? I mean, I guess as good as you can do under these circumstances. Sure, sure, of course. What can you do, right? So far, we're, we're safe and sound. We have a a roof over our head. So we're, we're very grateful in that regard. But yes, it is a difficult time for, I think, a lot of people. So we're trying to make the best of it. I had Hunter Hayes on the show a couple weeks ago, and he was saying that everyone thought that he was the turtle. But in fact, no, sir, you are the turtle, 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 turtle on The mass Singer. Did you enjoy your time singing in front of a bunch of people when they didn't know who you were? Yes, I did. It was a, it was a real thrill, you know, just getting up there every single night. It was fun to watch people try to figure it out, especially in the early stages of the filming of that show, because the first few episodes before it aired were filmed. So before anyone could really be on the internet trolling or guessing, people were genuinely trying to figure it out live, which was very exciting. And then I think once the first few episodes aired, I think the diehard fans started putting it together pretty quickly, just based on my physicality and and such on stage, that the people in the audience were like starting to scream out my name and people would have to say, (laughs) okay, all right, keep it to yourself, you know, like keep your guesses to yourself. But it it was really fun. 
Like I said, we had Hunter on, Brett Michaels, Paul Schaefer, a bunch of people who are actually singers on the show that were also part of The Masked Singer. And then we've had a bunch of people that weren't actually singers. You're used to getting on stage and you're used to performing in front of a bunch of people. What's more fun? Is it more fun to be kind of like shrouded in mystery performing for people? Or is it more awesome to like have everyone know who the hell they're looking at? It's not that it's awesome that to have them know who they're looking at. It's it's just awesome to not be wearing an extra 40 pounds of material on your back. <laughs> so while some artists I'm sure were loving being disguised because maybe they're not professional performers and it gave them a little bit of a barrier. In my case, I was dying to rip that thing off because it was just impeding on my ability and being able to sing clearly and dance well. Um, you know, I was... <laughs> I love being on stage. So for me, it was actually more of a distraction in terms of my performing. How much does that thing smell inside? <laughs> you'd, you'd actually be surprised how well built those things are. They, they ventilate, they have like ventilation systems in some of them where they have like fans going and they like are breathing. So actually not too bad. And they're really good at disinfecting and, you know, for breathing them. But, um, you know, when you're in it for a couple hours at a time, especially when the lights in the studio have been on all night, it gets really hot. But to me, I can take the heat. That wasn't really what bothered me. It was the air, the oxygen. I actually felt like because of the mask, you know, they have teeny baby little breathing holes, but getting a full breath is just not possible in that, in that mask, which makes it all the more challenging when you're going to reach for a big note. Yeah. Uh, so that was the one thing that I didn't like about the, the costume. Who is your favorite judge and who is your least favorite judge <laughs> oh no i don't have a least favorite they were all i love they all fit the their they all play their role so perfectly they each bring you know their own sort of um special thing to the show robin thick is like you know he's he's first of all he's definitely my my favorite as a as an artist because i grew up listening to his music he made such an impact on me vocally and musically so i always looked up to robin so that was such a big bucket list check every week to be able to sing in front of him was just so cool um but they were all great man ken could not stop making jokes um jenny was a sniper when it came to guessing who the person was she was always right and nicole just always had a way of relating to every artist she was very relatable when she would speak so they're, they're all incredible. I didn't, there wasn't one person I didn't, you know, enjoy listening to. Did you have any control over your costume or were they like, hey, listen, you're the turtle. That's just what it is. They sent me a few, um, a few costumes in the beginning of the show. Uh, one was, one was like a, which is really ironic, but it was, it was a bat. <laughs> um, um, which I don't think I actually have ever told anybody. The first person, one of the options was a bat, which I'm so happy I didn't end up picking. <laughs> But then there was a turtle and then there was like, there was another costume. It was, uh, oh, they offered me the rhino, uh, which was maybe my second choice, but it still looked very cumbersome. And what I liked about the turtle was that, was that it was the most, um, the most sleek of all of them. From the pants down, it was just regular pants, leather pants that you could walk and move around in. Whereas some of these outfits, like the llama that Drew Carey was in, I mean, he was in literally, he had two legs sticking out of his butt. I mean, it was like, you can't dance in that kind of thing. So I actually had one of the more comfortable costumes. Um, and that's what I was going for was comfort. <laughs> Who in your circle knew you were doing this show? And I asked that because everyone seems to think that my fiance is the kitty. And I'm sitting here wondering, Maybe she is, and I like the rule is you're not allowed to tell anybody. 
Did your fiance know you were doing this? She did. Okay. Yeah, she did. We lived together. She signed an NDA. And, you know, she was one of maybe five or six people on my team that signed the NDA, my agents and my manager, basically. But I mean, that was it. I mean, it was a, I was a, a lock, a steel, you know, trap. Otherwise, my mom, I lied to my own mother, my, my brother, my sister, my family in New York, all of my best friends were hitting me up. I was so nervous about even going on social media for fear that I would accidentally like yeah. a comment that had something to do with the turtle or the mass singer. So I was very, I was on high guard, high alert, and it was unbelievably stressful. I can't even imagine. You can't even imagine. Like somebody would just out of the blue be like, hey man, are you on the mass singer? Yeah. And you literally had to just flip a switch and be like, dude, everybody keeps talking about that show. I've never seen, it. you know, <laughs> act my way out of, I'll act my way out of it. But it was not fun to have to hold on to that for so long. Are you glad you did it? I really am. You know, at first I was very skeptical of like how this was going to go. I'm like, I, do I really want this living on the internet for the rest of my life? It's completely ridiculous and inane, but ultimately it was a real test of like what I feel like I'm capable of vocally and what I was able to achieve. And I think what I proved to a lot of people on the internet who maybe didn't know who I was or skeptical of my vocal ability. And I think it maybe changed a lot of perceptions of me, which is really the main reason I did it. That, and also to sort of cross promote my new album that I'm dropping, uh, that's coming out very soon, as well as the single. So it was, you know, it was overall, it was such a pleasure. And everyone at Fox is just so cool. They were such a great team and the relationships that have been built there are stronger than ever, so. Nice segue into the new stuff, new single, Yours, and the new record coming out soon. Tell me about this new project, Yours. Yeah, so I, uh, the this first single was called Yours. The, um, the second single that I just released yesterday is called Friends. And uh, the single is, is basically an homage, um, you know, a, a, a love song to all of my best friends, which you don't hear a lot in pop music. You always hear about songs that are intimate, you know, or or a heart, heartbreak or, you know, a breakup song. But this is just about your homies and what it's like, you know, being, uh, being around your friends. For me personally in my life, my friends are as important to me as my blood relatives in many ways. Um, so it's a, it's a fun summer bop that people can jam out to. They'll be sick of it by the fall. Uh, it's a two and a half minute banger and it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's about going out and just getting sauced with your friends and uh and just having a good time and i feel like it's a morale boost i feel like everybody kind of needs to hear that right now with everything going on in the world and for the rest of the record what can people expect so the album you know um is still yet to be revealed in terms of the title because we're i'm pretty sure i know what it is but we haven't decided when it's coming out um simply because of this covid thing we're still all trying to navigate what's happening with that and when i'm going to tour but i do anticipate it coming out some point this summer it's a full-length lp most of the songs are actually a little bit more intimate, reflective, and talk about what it's like being in this industry from the time that I was a child growing up, how it's affected all of my romantic relationships, how it's affected my family relationships, that dynamic, what people, you know, the sacrifices I've had to make, all of the things that I've gotten out of it. Um, and so it's a very, you know, introspective album. It talks a lot about my, my, my relationship with my new fiance that I've been with for eight years. So it's a very personal album. I think people are going to really dig it. It's more singer-songwriter based. But Friends is a little bit of a get you into the summer and let's get this party going. Nice. 
I mean, it makes total sense to kind of pump the brakes on the LP release just because I'm sure you want to tour behind it. You just don't know what you're going to be able to do in terms of, of touring. So I think it's a smart way to go about releasing stuff kind of slowly and then see what happens. Well, that's exactly it, Wells. When you put out an album, you want to go out and tour it immediately. And I don't want to be putting it out and then can't tour for another year. So I'm still trying to figure out what to do there. Possibly I'll still, you know, just keep releasing singles from it until I can release the full project, you know? Speaking of your fiance, you guys have been doing some really funny things on Instagram. Tell everyone about like your skits you're doing on Insta. Yeah. So Katie and I, you know, Katie, uh, does a lot of comedy writing and the two of us when we're in a room together all we do is sit and write jokes so when we got stuck in this quarantine we started just writing these sketches based on a couple just being stuck in a house together driving each other nuts um and i think it was like you know it's the perfect timing and it's relatable it's really all the same things that everyone does with their partner in a in a house um you know from cooking to chewing too loudly to fighting <laughs> over what show to watch uh, to being in the bathroom too long, that those kind of things. Um, you know, it's it's a perfect uh, you know it's a perfect quarantine couple kind of relationship. Well, I don't know if anyone told you the mission statement or the idea for this podcast, but I'm just kind of obsessed with like how people got to where they are, understanding that story and that journey, and then also like what's the blueprint for other people out there trying to be successful in their own right. And dude, you've been doing this for a very, very long time. And you've been doing a lot of different things for a very, very long time. If you're cool with it, I'd love to kind of like go back and find out how it all started. I mean, like you broke into Hollywood in the late 90s with all my children. But were you doing stuff before that? I was, but I, would, I wouldn't even say Hollywood in the late 90s because all my children, while it was television, it was more of a daytime thing. And it was actually filmed in Manhattan at the time. So I hadn't even moved to Hollywood until I was about 16 or 17. But prior to that, prior to even all my children, which I think was in 99, you're right, 98 or 99, late 90s. Prior to that, I, I did a lot of theater and I was theatrically trained. I did a lot of Broadway, on and off Broadway. And in fact, my first performance was with my folks in a local community theater of about 500 seats um, in a little town called Irvington, New York. It's a river town that runs up the Hudson River just outside of Manhattan by about 25 minutes. And my folks were just both very musically and theatrically inclined. My mom went to Juilliard, she went to UCLA. My father was a theater major um, in Rhode Island and they met in Manhattan doing theater work together. They were both singers and songwriters. My mom was a phenomenal dancer. My dad was, had a beautiful like Irish tenor voice and it was a family affair. So when I came along, when they got married and had me, they started just raising me in the musical household that they were. They would sit around the piano, play songs, teach me how to write a song, teach me how to sing. And at an early age, I think that they found that I had relatively good pitch. And so it was maybe just sort of like an Irish trait that was in my blood. And they sort of helped me develop it from an early age. And I quickly became in love with singing and I had that as something I could always hold on to. And eventually somebody saw me play in a local production at that theater and they were from the city. And they said, hey, we just saw your son. He, we really love him. Would you mind bringing him down to the, to, to the city for some actual Broadway auditions? And that's kind of was the beginning of, of it all. Is it something that you set out and wanted to do or is it is the only thing you knew because that's what your parents were doing? It was a bit of both. I mean, my parents truly loved music and really loved theater. 
Um, and so, you know, how some families are diehard sports fans where they're watching sports every single night, there's a new game on, which, you know, my father also loved the Yankees and the New York Giants. Some families encourage their kids to get involved with sports at an early age and, and uh, competitive sports. My, my family was, you know, involved in getting me into theater and as an extracurricular at a very young age. And they always put an emphasis on education and making sure I was, you know, I had the proper schooling. But, you know, I think every kid needs some sort of guidance in a direction at an early age. And they definitely gave me the push. But I think once I realized that I had some of the natural ability that I was given, that I was able to sort of develop it as I got older. And the more that I saw people returning with positive feedback, the more it motivated me to be like, okay, wow, maybe I, I should be doing this. This is great. So it was a little bit of both. Especially in the Broadway world, singing and acting aren't mutually exclusive, but they are separate entities. At that young age, did you like one better than the other? Like, did, were you like, I really like singing more than the acting thing, or I really like the acting thing, but, um, uh, you know, I, I can make more money in the singing thing. Like, what was the, the thought process, and did you like one better than the other? Well, I think that came later, and certainly the money thing didn't come at, at that age at all. I wasn't even thinking about money, mm -hmm. but um, I think what was great about what, my, what was smart is that my parents, when they introduced me to the theater, I knew it was an all-encompassing thing. So I didn't ever thought that they were mutually exclusive. I always thought, oh, if you're a performer, you have to do both. And so I quickly just latched onto the idea that you need to sing and you need to act. And that was sort of the blueprint that I was given. That was sort of my, you know, that was the world I, w I knew. So when it came to audition for, for Broadway, I was, I was sort of armed and ready for reading my scene and then sitting there and singing, you know, a song by Oliver Twist, you know? So it was, uh, it, it was interesting. And it wasn't until years later that I started realizing um, you know, my, my love for pop music, popular music. I started falling in love with Prince and Michael Jackson and TLC and Craig David and started developing a taste for pop R&B music. And then all of a sudden I was like, hmm, you know, this is great. I want to do more pop stuff. And I quickly sort of started deviating away from the theater. I think a lot of kids, when they become preteens and teenagers, it's a natural thing for a lot of people, or at least for me. And, um, and yeah, and started just developing other interests. But um, yeah, it's 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 a wild it's a wild story, and uh, I do now when I look back, I kind of miss the theater now that I'm an, a grown up and I'm looking back at some of the shows that are on Broadway, and I see the amazing talent coming from Broadway, and I'm just it's something I would love to do again at some point in my life. So you're doing community theater outside of New York. You get recruited to come to Manhattan to do Broadway. That goes well. How did you go from doing Broadway to jumping onto All My Children? Well, you see, my manager was, at the time, I was signed to this, like, she was a, this, this, I'll never forget her. She was such a character. She could have been a movie, you know, she could have been in, you know, there could be a biopic about her, but she was like this woman from Long Island that talked like this. I won't say her name because I'm not sure she might still be living, although I'd be surprised. And she talked like this, and every time she talked to you, she'd say, okay. <laughs> Sing, you know, she was like this real caricature of herself. Wait, like, by the way, I, that's Joey from Friends' manager. <laughs> well, that's who this person was. I mean, she is she is the personification of what you think about when you think of a uh, old timer manager agent. You yeah. know, and so 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 she said, you know, I got this show. It's a talk. It's a 
it's a it's a soap opera. And I think, you know, I know you've been doing the theater thing, but I think you should try this thing. And and I was like, all right, cool. And I was just so anxious and wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, and I just was willing to try anything if, if it meant I got to perform. So even though there was no music component, it was TV. And when you're 10 years, 9, 10 years old, you're like, oh, I'm gonna, this is cool. I could be on TV. So I, I went to the audition and I auditioned like everybody else and I got the role. And all of a sudden now I was on a soap opera between the ages of, I think it was 11 or 12 to 13 or 14. And that was sort of like my introduction into television. And then from there, during my time at two or three years on that show, I was nominated for two Emmy Awards. And that was sort of the beginning of like people calling from LA and saying, hey, we like your kid. Can you bring him out for pilot season for primetime television? So that's kind of like how that pivoted. Um, It was a whole snowball effect, you know? But it started with this lady. (laughs) Can someone book her for the next episode? I want to talk to her so bad. Uh, I mean, like, so it's not a... It's not a big chunk of time between doing All My Children and dropping the first record. 2004 was when you released your first album. I'm terrible with timeline (laughs) timeline in general, but I do think that, yes, it was was during All My Children that I was auditioning like every child actor, like every kid that was out there. I was auditioning for, you know, shows and Broadway and television in New York. And New York at the time, especially television and film was limited. It was more of a a place you went for theater, whereas LA was more based in, you know, primetime television and and, 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 in cinema. So between soap opera world or time, I auditioned for this boy band. They were doing like a cattle call for like the next new boy band. And you got to remember this is 1999. So this is like peak in sync Backstreet Boy era. And and remember, I told you, I was like, I was developing this taste for pop music and R&B. And so I was like, you know, I had bought a couple of those Backstreet Boys albums. And I was like, all right, cool. Maybe I could do a boy band. So I went in and auditioned and all, like, I, I got cast in a boy band. So now I'm in a boy band <laughs> while I'm shooting all my children, going to rehearse, shooting my, you know, shooting my scenes after school, then going to rehearsals for four hours after all my children and being in the city till midnight, coming home driving back to New- you know, Westchester, going to school at 8 a.m., and then doing that every day for like three years and rehearsing with this group, recorded an album. We got signed by Atlantic Records. We sold nearly a million albums. This is back when you could literally fart and sell two million <laughs> records. And it was, that was sort of the beginning of the, the Dream Street era. And, and we were on tour with Britney Spears. And then we got royally screwed over, like most, like some boy bands do. The boy band thing fell apart. Uh, you know, in a matter of two years, two and a half years, uh, the producers walked away with a ton of money. We saw nothing. Classic boy band story. And here I'm now 14 years old. And now I'm at this point where the boy band's over again. Like this, there was somebody who was like, you know, we want to develop you maybe as a solo artist. And so then that, and then the story takes another left turn. You're 12, 13 years old and you're hustling like a 28 year old. I just think of like shithead Wells at 12. You know, I was concerned about like making out with Megan Johnson and figuring out a way to smuggle cloves. You know, like I, I can't imagine the crazy amount of hustle. Did you ever get exhausted? Yes, of course. But it also didn't mean that like it didn't come with my Megan Johnson and my, um, you know, my, my cigarette smuggling. Like I had moments like that too, where I was just a normal average teenager where my mom and dad had to kick me in the ass, Yeah, you know, and say like, Hey, like you can't do stuff like that. 
So there, it was totally balanced with uh, a lot of just regular everyday stuff. And my parents tried very hard to make sure that, you know, I, I finished even up until moving to Los Angeles, I came back to, after being on a hit show, I came back to New York to graduate with my high school class. So my parents were insist, insisted that I at least got my high school diploma. <laughs> I mean, they were very good at trying to balance my life out with regular guy, regular stuff. But I did have just this overwhelming, um, just this overwhelming passion for wanting to be great and wanting to be somebody at an early age. And I think that sort of superseded all of the other stuff that was going on in my life. And I was willing to give up maybe everyday stuff to have that. And it maybe was a little bit uh, different than most 12 year olds, but, um, but trust me, I, I, I would slip and fall down on my face like every 12 year old kid too. Like it was a mix, mix of both. Would you say it's more for you, it's more ambition? Like there's many ways of becoming successful, but for me, especially like in the entertainment industry, there's a lot of people who are just, I can't sit still. I got to go, 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 go. You know, like I forward momentum, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. And then there's also people who are just like, I love this. It's not really work to me. This is just fun. I love it. I love being on set. I love singing. I love performing. Is there, was there one or the other or is it combined? It's totally combined. I, I think anybody who tells you it's only, uh, oh, I love every part of this is totally lying to your face because there's so many unglamorous parts of this industry without question. The highs are super high. The lows are really low. The things are really nice that you get. I think ultimately what does drive me is my passion to be great, my validation and respect from peers and people that I admire and respect. You know, people like Thick on like The Mass Singer, like getting his approval on that show meant more to me than just being on that show. So to me, it was always about the drive and the passion to be respected for something that I'm doing well. But, you know, that does, it's not to say that like touring is a grind and sometimes I feel like shit and I just want to like go to bed and not, you know, do a show that night or I'm sick and I have to do an interview. Look, I mean, there's so many things that, you know, but it's part of the it's part of the deal, it's part of the package and that's kind of what comes with it. And I think for any profession, there's, there's something that you can complain about, you yeah. know? But I try not to because ultimately my life is pretty sweet. The irony is not lost on me that like, I'm one of those things that you like have to do <laughs> as a part of this. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to avoid going down that road a little too far. I'm actually thoroughly enjoying this interview, if you must know. It's one of the better interviews I've given in a very long time. So hats off to you. Oh, thanks. You know, there's a lot of great things that come along with being a, a singer and a, a songwriter and an actor, but f***ing talking to your ass sucks, sucks bro. <laughs> I wanted to go back to like, I mean, you came along at a time in which things were crazy. You were touring alongside New Kids in the Block and Backstreet Boys. I assume Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. Do you have like crazy stories from that time? There's one story I can think of that was really interesting. During my years in Dream Street, we opened up for Britney Spears for... I can't really recall how many shows. It may have only been a few shows that we did. And I believe they were in the tri-state area because we were very popular within this like tri-state region. But um, we did a show at, it was either like Madison Square Garden, I think it was, or at like Nassau Coliseum. It was a huge, huge venue. It was Britney Spears in the 90s. And Justin Timberlake came backstage and he came into our dressing room because he had heard of this new boy band called Dream Street. And he came back and he shook all of our hands. And, you know, when you're 12, 13, Justin Timberlake, he's like the godlike boy bander, right? Yeah. He is the, the people everyone look up to. And he was very gracious and kind. And he, he shook all of our hands and he gave us a little piece of advice. I don't even remember what he said. You know, he was just trying to be cool. And, 
And I just remember thinking, whoa, this is so awesome. And, um, and then he, and he sat and he just kind of watched our performance the entire time, like looking up at us. So that's a little anecdote that I thought was fun. I mean, I just remember thinking about that. And then years later, I would run into him at an award show and he'd be like, man, I always knew you guys. And I'm like, you didn't always know. You're just saying. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So, so I had a moment like that. Um, there's been many moments like that, you know, where I've run into people that I grew up loving or idolizing and all of a sudden I'm sharing a moment with them and it's just surreal, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's crazy now. I feel like I'm at the age where there's young artists coming up that, that meet me and they're like, Hey man, uh, you don't understand. Like that's one of those, that beautiful soul album is one of the first records that got me into music. And now they have a budding career. It's just funny to see it all come full circle. Um, so yeah. When that happens, do you give those young whippersnappers advice? No, I don't like to be that guy. You know, yeah. I don't be like, you know, what you should do is because I just feel like that's like big timing people. And I, I don't like that. Yeah. If they ask, I'll give them a little two cents, but you know, I just, I just give them a high five and just say, Hey man, keep, keep doing you and stay focused and work hard and you're crushing it. You know, I try to keep it light and easy. I don't like to be Mr. Wisdom. Yeah. When you're old kid who wants to hear that when you're 16. Well, I would imagine you would have liked to have heard that from Justin Timberlake where he was like, Hey, listen, this boy band thing, you're going to get screwed over big time. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was one of the boy bands that didn't get screwed over. He ended up, uh, making tens of millions of dollars before his solo career, so. Okay, so you start the solo career, and then what happens? At that point, I was probably 17, uh, 16, when I started recording Beautiful Soul. I moved out to Los Angeles for my first pilot season, and, and during my first pilot season, I booked a, a show, which was originally called Immediate Family, that the W picked up and then changed the name to Summerland, and that would become a big show on the WB. And during that time, my manager, who's still my current manager, uh, was pitching a little demo that I had put together of uh, several songs um, uh, on a CD and back when, you know, remember CDs? And, um, and she put together like a tape of me performing these solo songs at a, on stage. And because of Dream Street, I had several three to 500 people that would show up to my solo show. So it was quite impressive to show a record company, look, this kid's not signing. He's already got like these screaming girls like coming after him. This is a get, like you guys should sign him. They did. It was a smart pitch. It was a wise pitch. The songs were decent. One of the songs was Beautiful Soul, funny enough, that we had recorded that we found on a publishing service called Taxi. Out of tens of thousands of songs, we find a number one record. It, the whole thing is unbelievable. And then we I moved to LA. I'm shooting the show. We pitch to Hollywood Records, Jay Landers, who I think now works for Sony, he heard it and he was like, I like this kid. He reminds me of like the male Hillary Duff, who was a huge thing at the time. And so they signed me to a record deal. They signed me to a three album deal, which at the time was like incredible. You can't get those kind of deals anymore. I signed a record deal. We produced, we made the first album and Beautiful Soul, which was already becoming a hit on Disney radio, which is AM radio without being signed. They were like, how does this kid on Disney with a number one record on Disney without being signed to a label? They put some money into it on, the, on a grand scale and Beautiful Soul became the song that it, it, it is and, and that it was. And, uh, and the rest sort of was history at that point. Musically, it, everything sort of just went from zero to 60. So within, within a year, it was like, you know, I was in everybody's living rooms, my high school friends now. Like I was a junior in high school when I moved to L.A., all of them were like, hey, bro, 
I'm like, what do you mean, hey, bro? You don't you used to shove me into a locker, <laughs> hey, bro. Like, get, get out of here. And then, you know, and then I was traveling around the world. I had a worldwide tour. I was going to Australia and Europe and Italy and Japan and seeing places that like just a year ago, I was learning about in a textbook. That period was when I think the name Jesse McCartney went from just like this kid who was in the theater business and, and a working young actor singer went from there to sort of household name status. And that's like, that was kind of the beginning of of what people think of when they think of Jesse McCartney. I think they think of, when they think of me, they think of that time, you know? Yeah. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. It seems like you've killed every audition you've ever walked into. No, there were a lot in between that I completely <laughs> fell flat on. Trust me. It's not like I, there was only three auditions and I booked every one. There were several thousand auditions and yeah. maybe there was a couple that I, I, I was able to squeeze out. It seems like you've done kind of everything. You did Broadway. You've done scripted. You've done the singer route. Is there anything that you haven't done that you want to do? I mean, of course, there's more that I haven't done that, than there is that I've done, um, you know, uh, in my in my mind. I mean, I, 
I certainly would like to start um, writing and producing, um, whether it's short form or long form content. I don't I really, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I enjoy doing sketch comedy quite a bit. Uh, the more that I get used to it and do it, uh, it's something that just feels natural to me and I'm getting a rhythm for, um, especially with Katie, who's a really talented writer. The two of us are a really good team. So I anticipate doing more of that. When I look at things like Rudy Mancuso doing, you know, work, all those like social, social media guys that are crushing it at shots and all of these like startup companies, that's something I really want to get more involved with. And I would love to have either an episodic uh, or, you know, um, a film that I've written myself and produced myself. That's something I'd still love to do. So there's a lot still I want to do also behind the camera in terms of production. Um, but you know it's one foot in front of the other and it's a it's as they said on the mass center it's a very slow and steady climb and i'm just you know i'm constantly trying to educate myself and learn new things so that i can get good at them you know and and i think that's like that's really all it it is it's just like constantly trying to teach yourself new things so that you know if you have a little bit of natural ability you can apply it to the fundamentals of whatever it is that you're doing. If someone came to you and said, hey, listen, you only get to do one thing for the rest of your life in terms of work, what would you choose? In terms of work? Yeah. It was going to be pizza. But in terms <laughs> of work, I would say, uh, oh, man, I would say live performance. I mean, that, I, that'll never, I'll never lose. And it probably comes from my Broadway days, but like I will never, nothing will ever come close to the feeling that you get when you perform in front of a live audience and that immediate reaction and gratification that you get when they do react. You hear it a lot from like um, some of my favorite comedians like uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Maniscalco and some of the top guys, you hear them say like, there's just nothing compared. I don't care how successful your TV show is or your movie is when you perform on a live stage, it's really the ultimate high. And so I think if somebody held a gun to my head and said, you only get to do one thing forever, it would be, just to perform music live on stage. Tell us about Celebrity Watch Party. <laughs> now that's a funny show. Uh, it's basically my fiance and I sitting on our couch yeah. doing what we've already been doing for the last two and a half months, which is just binge watching television <laughs> and cracking jokes and commentating on what we're watching, which is perfect for us because we get to riff, we get to uh, make fun of each other, make fun of what we're watching and we get to sit our ass on the couch, so it's perfect. Do you ever do Bachelor in Paradise? Because I, I need to watch it if you do. See, I don't even, is that another, is that like a reality show? Yes, it's and it's beautiful. You need, so when it comes back, I need you to to do it for that yeah. show, yeah. Oh, well, you know, Katie got me into 90 Day Fiance. Oh man, before the 90 days? Before the 90 days. Lana's but real, this, bro! Dude, but, this, but, she, <laughs> but, I, but I tuned in for season four. I didn't watch the first three seasons. I turned in for like the big dude, Ed. Yeah. And the, and the Filipino girl Rose or Rose, whatever. Yeah, man, it's just the most. It's the most incredible television. It's riveting stuff. But but so why is it before the ninety days? What's after the ninety days? Do they actually do another show after the ninety days? Yeah, I think like there's another show. I haven't seen either. But Sarah and I were talking about this. Like, what what is the next show? So I guess the next show is like it's actually them. Um, like together, like they're married or whatever. Like that, that that ninety days of the courting is the most fun because yeah. it's like, what do I do with this guy? And he's like, what do I do? She doesn't love me. She just wants to be. She wants a card. She wants a visa or a green card. That's to me the best part of the show. Anyway, yeah, dude, it's uh, 
I don't watch a lot of reality food shows, but that is one she's turned me on to and we're thoroughly enjoying it. Was your mind blown when Lana was real? That's when I was like, oh my God, David's the girlfriend that he's been talking to on chat forever. Oh, you know what? I didn't get that far, dude. dude. Is oh, she really? Oh, it's I'm okay. so sorry. My mind is blown though right now. The last episode I saw, I got distracted with Defending Jacob, which is a great show. Mm-hmm. But dude, the last one I saw is that he went there, he sat at the table with the rose and the champagne, just the saddest display of, you know, denial. And then he goes home and it's like his friend picks him up. So you're telling me that that girl is real. He goes back a fifth time. You gotta go, I'm gonna let you go now because you have to go watch the rest of this because it's gonna get crazy. And then there's also Usman, who, <laughs> who's Soja Boy, but the Nigerian version. The show's great. Hey, before I let you go, do you have time to do uh, rapid fire questions? Of course. Okay. Um, I love how like we just went on a really weird detour into 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> rapid fire questions with Jesse McCarty. Number one, uh, favorite pizza topping? Favorite pizza topping, pepperoni. Favorite book? Kitchen Confidential. Nice. Biggest mentor? I'm going to say Will Smith. Who was your first kiss? A girl named Sam. Seventh grade. Celebrity you get mistaken for? Uh, Frankie Muniz. Really? I get Frankie Muniz from time to time, which is funny. I've also gotten Aaron Carter, and I've also gotten and Jesse McCartney. And they're, and, yeah, and, and one's right. And <laughs> Who would you call to get you out of jail? I guess Katie. That's good. It depends on what you do, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one thing that's always in your fridge. Fresh fruit. Do you believe in soulmates? Yeah. Who was your celebrity crush growing up? Jennifer Love Hewitt. I like that yeah. one. Do you have a nickname? And if you do, what is it? My friends just call me Jess or J-Mac or Jay. I like J-Mac. A long time ago, I left a voicemail that said, hey, it's JM on the line. So a lot of them will, like when I was like 15, I thought I was cool not revealing my name on my voicemail. Yeah. I'd say, hey, it's JM on the line. Leave a message after the beep. (laughs) So my friends never let that go. So every time they come over, they're like, JM on the line. What's up? (laughs) Old school, like, you know, friends taking the piss out of me. Yeah. Well, I've had Jay on the line uh, on the line for the past hours. Thank you so much for being on the Wells cast. Your story is crazy and bonkers, and it just seems like everything you touch, you kill. So congratulations. Everyone out there, make sure you go listen to yours and friends and keep on the lookout for the new record, which is untitled, but will be titled soon. I can't wait to hear it, man. I appreciate it, Wells. And genuinely, man, really great interview. Probably one of the best I've done in, in, in many years, so... Kudos. I appreciate that. Hey, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to talk about or promote before I let you go? No. If you leave me on here longer, we're going to keep talking about 90 Day Fiance. So I'm (laughs) going to go take off and watch the rest of it. Go do it, man. Hey, great to meet you. And thank you so much. You too. Cheers, Wells. Appreciate it, man. Man, he just seemed like every audition he went to, he booked, you know? And you can see like... It's not surprising. He's good looking, obviously, and he's just super talented. Not to like keep on bringing Sarah into the show, but it's, she's the one the most. She's the most talented person I'm around all the time, you know. And she's just good at everything. Broadway kills it. Singing kills it. Acting kills it. Being hot kills it. You know, that's what that guy is, which is amazing. But he hustles, and that's the thing that I think that like a lot of people forget about when it comes to success is that you can't put a price tag on hustle, man. Like. That's how you get ahead. You just crush and kill and crush and kill and keep on going, you know? And then when you're old and decrepit, you got a big old bank account to sit back on and chill. All right, guys, that does it for the Wells cast this week. That was a fun episode. Jesse's super cool, dude. Loving this new tune, friends. Uh, go stream it or buy it or whatever the hell you do with music these days. And don't forget to uh, rate and review the app and play stores. 
comment saying how great I am. If you have bad comments, just don't do it. You know? Okay. That'd be cool. Alright, guys. Later! Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.